The weekend is nearly here. It's Friday. OCR Audio about to drop another podcast. But before we do, just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that voted for us in the best of podcast um, at the Mud Run Guide. And we got through. So what I need everyone to do now is jump back online to www.mudrunguide.com. Click on the little banner, scroll down, find best podcast and please vote for OCR Audio. Find best fixed training facility and please vote for Field Fit Suffolk. And also, of course, we can't forget best MC, our very own Spartan Phil. So three categories you could vote for here on OCR Audio. So OCR Audio for best podcast, Field Fit My Place for best training facility and Spartan Phil for best MC. So, let's get on to the podcast. Ryan Atkins today. Um, Ryan is in a coffee shop in Canada. The line does drop out a couple of times, so I apologise for that. But in general, here it is. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy the podcast. It's going to be a great weekend. Cheers, guys. Hi there. Uh, This is Ryan Atkins, and you're listening to... OCR audio podcasts and uh, today we're just going to discuss how I train, how I eat and uh, the goings on in my life and how I got into OCR. So welcome and enjoy. So today we're joined by ultra world champion Ryan Atkins. Ryan, how are we doing? Good. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. No worries. Thanks a lot for coming on. So introduce you as ultra world champion but you're obviously a world champion and many different um sports obviously um spartan you won the ultra world champion title um you've been series champion before i believe or mm, yeah yeah series champion this year yep yeah. that downplay yourself oh yeah was i this year yes yes you were <laughs> <laughs> and um you won many many uh world's toughest mother as well um, That's true. Yeah. So you do seem to excel in the ultra realm. So let's talk about the latest, um, the latest feat in Sweden. How was that race? Um. Yeah. Sweden was pretty wild. It was just like, uh, I mean, everybody kind of heard about how much, you know, just climbing there was there, and um, and then the weather took a turn for the worse or the better, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, like a couple of weeks out, and it just got really like unseasonably cold even for as far north as it was some snow and so it was just kind of all these factors that culminated and then Spartan basically didn't really change their like standard course design at all so it was like all the standard obstacles um you know kind of full value uh, mm-hmm. out there which you know when it's like negative 10 or 15 and uh <laughs> and like snowing at nighttime um the obstacles that we like sometimes complain that are you know pretty easy uh, actually get pretty hard. So it was uh, mm-hmm. it was awesome. <laughs> Still, you only failed one spear. Is that correct? Uh, two spears. Two spears. I missed two spears. Yeah. For an eighty-five miles, you only failed two spears. That's quite impressive. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, it was actually back to back. It was like my third and fourth lap, so that kind of sucked, but. <laughs> I was kind yeah. of I was kind of in a dark place then, and they were like the most. I just like didn't even. I just like kind of tossed and didn't even care, and yeah. uh, I kind of wanted to see if the penalty was you know 
as hard as it was to, you know, do the obstacle. And they were, like, pretty much the same. By the time you, like, got gear and got a rope and, like, set up your, you know, headlights so you could see the target and all that stuff, it was pretty much just as fast to pick up the, the bottle of water and go for a little walk. So. Yeah. Oh, there you well, go. I, we don't want to talk too much about the controversy uh, of second place, but that seems to be what was happening. He was almost pretending to fail just so he could do the penalties with the burpees, but that's easier than being out in the cold and doing the obstacle. Right. Um, seems a bit mm-hmm. bad. Obviously, Spartan was allowed it, but it seems a bit unfair on, especially Aaron, who was obviously chasing third. Um, obviously, you were home and dry by then, but um, so you pretty much used like your whole of your season for the, the ultra, didn't you? That was your your big race for this year, was it? Yeah, I mean, I that was kind of like the you know the our gold at the end of the rainbow for me all all year long. Um, but I still obviously wanted to do well at all the other races I did. So uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of tricky to maintain that um, like ultra endurance while also trying to like be quick at like the US series and um, do other stuff. So uh, yeah, I was pretty happy with how it all balanced out um, when it came down to it. I guess. Did, did you get to go into the race with the million in your head, or did you think that was a no go even before you started? Oh. Um, I think there was like maybe like five percent of me that thought it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So we had Joe on the podcast our our last episode, and he said, "2020, somebody will win the million." Right. Yeah. <laughs> do I Do mean, you think it's possible if he? If it's the same kind of races as before, do you think it is possible to reach 100 miles and take that million? He used Ryan as an example. He said if Ryan had won Tahoe and if Ryan had won Greece, I know that's a big ask, but if you had won Greece, then you would have only had to do, what, 100 miles in Sweden? 100. You, right. you could have pushed to 100 miles if... If, if there was money at the end? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not in those conditions. If someone had said, I'll give you a million dollars to do 90 miles, I could have done it. If someone had said, I'll give you a million dollars, a billion dollars to do 100 miles, I would, I mean, there was just no way. Um, and I mean, yeah, on that course, like, it'd be insane. Um, so going yeah. forward, then the course would have to change, I think. Like, if, if Joe actually came out and said, someone's going to do 100 miles on an ultra course, it ha- they can't be such brutal elevation. It can't be such brutal temperatures, can it? It has something has to give somewhere for him, for someone like yeah. trying to, to win in the million. I think, of course, has to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was mostly just the elevation. I think the temperatures were manageable um, for me at least, and it was just, yeah, it was just. I mean, you know what it's like to do two thousand feet of vertical. It like it slows you down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> A lot. Yeah, so yeah. It kills you more or less. I mean, yeah, yeah. Not two weeks before that, obviously you were in Greece, Ryan. So like you've gone from 30 degree heat, to, uh, like you say, minus nine or whatever it was out there. Did that? Yeah, one week. One week. Oh. In one week. Was it one week? Was it? Yeah. Did, so how, how did you find that? Do you, do you feel like you're probably the most <laughs> I know that going from, bearing in mind, let's forget not two weeks before that you are in Tahoe, a couple of weeks before that you were in Fiji. I mean, when you actually say to someone that doesn't know who you are, you've done that, they go, no, not possible, but somehow you make it possible. 
Have you, right. you used to it? I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this question, but like going from like Greece to Sweden, it, it, that, I would say you're the most adapted to do that. Do you feel like you're pretty adapted now at jumping into any race condition? Yeah, I think so. I think I've got a lot of experience um, over a lot of conditions. And whether or not you're, I think being adapted to the cold obviously helps. Um, like if I'd been coming from the middle of the winter here, it would have just, it would have been easier. But also, mm. like when you're racing, as long as you have your, your clothing dialed, it doesn't really affect you. Like it's not, um, yeah, I was never cold on the course and I was never like struggling with the conditions or things like that um, out there. So, yeah, it really wasn't that bad. Um, how, how did Sweden compare to Iceland? For the Ooh. same style of race, was it was it a lot harder due to the elevation, or was it different? Well, what was the differences? Yeah, so I mean, I think Iceland had about three hundred meters of a lot of climbing, um, mm -hmm. which uh, about half. There's still a fair bit. Like at World's Tough Mudder, we would have somewhere between seven hundred and eight hundred feet um, <laughs> every year, and uh, so yeah, still like. Still a fair bit, but like a reasonable amount. But what made Iceland so hard was it was just so the footing was so bad everywhere on the course. Um, it was either the big clumps of grass that mm -hmm. like it was like running, um, it was like running kind of like running in the lake. It's just like super soft, clumpy grass, and then you go from that to like like skatable ice, just like <laughs> so icy. And um, there was only one little section of pavement right before you came lap through that was actually like. You could actually run a normal gate on it, so that's what really made Iceland tricky. Um, but uh, so comparing that to Sweden, Sweden had you know more runnable footing, mm -hmm. but a lot of it got super icy as the race progressed. So then, like all the running through town, which was like originally the pavement, started snowing, and then people would run on it and kind of compact it, and then that would get icy. So, and because we weren't allowed to wear studs, like studded shoes would have made a huge difference. Um, because we weren't allowed to wear studs, you're constantly doing this like really awkward, like kind of shuffly step. Because as soon as you opened your footing up, you would like risk having these catastrophic falls. Yeah. And so that made it, um, that made it just harder to move at a good clip. Uh, so the footing kind of got pretty bad in Sweden too. And then that compounded with the amount of climbing we did and, um, it was definitely quite a bit colder in Sweden. Uh, mm -hmm. So there was like, there was that to contend with, um, just being more careful with, you know, clothing selection and what you're doing out there. Um, so yeah, it's hard to say which was harder. I think like you could take a, a Ryan, like, or anyone who had done both races right at the finish line of each race and mm -hmm. ask them, um, I don't know what, which would come out on top. Because uh, time kind of like makes you forget how miserable <laughs> things are, but it, forget like, how much it hurt. Yeah, you remember how fun it is, but you don't really <laughs> remember. Or at least I do. I don't really remember how how like how much it sucks. You just remember all the good parts. Um, I know that you're and, getting fitter as well. Sounds silly, but year on year right. you are getting quicker, fitter, better right. More used to it. Yeah. yeah, mentally, physically, probably more fitter now than what you have been. So yeah, we always say this about so, yeah. European race, you know, like we did Morzine, and I still say it was the hardest course I've ever done. It probably, <laughs> if I did it now, it'd probably be super easy, but because it was my first European race, which was like ridiculous amounts of feet of elevation for us anyway, 
Um, we always go back and say that's the hardest, but since then we've done a lot of probably more harder courses that aren't as hard, but that's because we're as fit. But right, yeah, yeah. it's really it's really hard to compare <laughs> compare courses and stuff. But I mean, I would give the nod to Sweden. I think I think it was a bit a bit tougher. Where mm. where would you like to see it next year? Oh, I think the same venue would be awesome. You think? Yeah, it, it, look, it looks like there. Looks like they're going back to Sweden. There is a little uh, video announcement on the yeah. Spartan page. They haven't announced the location, but it says Sweden. Yeah. So could be the same. But how would you feel about that? So yeah. say you're going to go to Sweden same time of year, and then later in the year, the World Championships could be in a very hot country <laughs> after. Can we not just say it now? I'm sure everyone freaking knows it anyway. Come on. Yeah. There's a sandy country that a it could be in. sandy country in December. Yeah, yeah. Arizona. So, um. <laughs> Arizona. Uh, but yeah, it would go. You'd go from like again minus ten to plus, my lord, some outrageous 30 or 40, temperature. Yeah, yeah. So that um, would be. Something. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could make it tricky, but uh, I don't know. I think I think they're talking about moving the Ultra World Championships um, like earlier in the year, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, world champs later, so I think you'd actually end up having a few months in between, um, which would be okay. Is that, yeah, that that's how the mini would work as well? Because you couldn't have the Tahoe after ta- world champ, sorry, after um, ultra, could you? Because it wouldn't work, you wouldn't know what you'd have to aim for for your money, unless you like had to like preemptively run like 100 miles or 100 or <laughs> done, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they seem to be uh, putting out a little ultra series as well in America. And are you going to be aiming to do that next year? Maybe taking um, on the ultras? The ultra series is actually worldwide, I think. It's, oh, there we go then. Yeah, so they're you're saying looking... it's across four continents and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's really exciting. Uh, I'll have to look at the schedule and see how it fits for me and stuff. But um, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun to travel around. There have also kind of um since the in the US took over the Canadian um mm-hmm. branch of things. They've kind of they're, they're offering the game in terms of the series in Canada too. So it looks like there'll be a Canadian series of three races with like good prize money and all nice. that stuff. So um yeah, lots of uh setting things happening for for twenty twenty. Yeah, it looks good. They've just um just announced some trail races up in Canada as well. So yeah. that looks decent. That was on uh, their um, Instagram or Facebook today. Yeah. So you, th- you think you know jumping on the trails as well, or just stick to the obstacle course races? How many more races do you want the poor boy to do? Jesus, <laughs> you, can do, you can do a lot. Do a lot. I'll do five different series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spread him around the world. Yeah. Honestly, the uh, I mean the mountain series would be super fun to do too, but it's just like it didn't make any sense for me to do it this year. Um, yeah, there's just like not as much competition in it, and there's not as much uh, prize money, and there's not as much kind of yeah. I like doing the races that have the most competition. It's like I like being challenged, so those are like what I seek out. Um, you go to Europe then, Ryan, a little bit more. Yeah, I see you've been racing in Europe quite recently. How how do you find racing in Europe? Um, good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think world, it was good. World champs, Greece, obviously. Yeah. I think you, not you so much, you know, but I definitely like your Aaron Newells, your Ryan Woods who were in Greece this year. I think they 
I think they realised that there is guys over here that are, are pretty quick, pretty nifty um, in the obstacle world, especially that haven't necessarily been over to America, especially some of the, the Russians because um, they mm-hmm. come over there. Um, right. Do you enjoy, like you say, you said you like going against like stronger people. Do you enjoy coming over and racing these boys just a bit different? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of a learning curve. Any well, anytime you're racing somewhere new, um, and also, I think that there is like style of races, uh, definitely like American and European. Um, so there's a bit of a learning curve there in terms of like getting used to it. But yeah, there's a lot of like rock star athletes over in Europe. So um, just in the past, it's been hard to like justify the travel when there's like so many races in North America that have mm-hmm. good competition and that, you know, are a three or four hour flight instead of a seven to 10 hour flight plus a six or seven hour time change. Um, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. It just, it just kind of makes it hard to, I mean, if you flew over and raced six or seven times a year, you'd like your training would take a massive hit because you'd always be adapting to different time zones and um, be all screwed up. So yeah, it makes yeah. it a little, a little tricky, but I think doing like kind of what ended up happening this year with, you know, some series in America and then like maybe part of the season where there's a few races in Europe that everyone can kind of go to and stay over for, um, would be a really good, uh, format. Need to buy a Ryan Atkins house in Europe, Ryan. There we go. Uh, the yeah. house in Europe that everyone can stay at. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Atkins mansion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the OCR mansion. The OCR mansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Beatle. The Beatle. Built out of uh, old Spartan blocks. Let's bring it right back, Ryan. So, like, okay, not recently. Um, let's go back to where you started. So, talk me through Ryan Atkins as a little boy. You know, at what point did you have you always been a runner? Have you always been the size of a a monster you know how did it start for you um yeah when i was younger i was just kind of pretty normal kid i guess i did a lot of sports like uh every canadian plays hockey so did that and football and rugby and wrestling and all that good stuff and then um i did actually a ton of unicycling when i was like uh starting from when i was about 12 to 18 or so and mm-hmm. competed um all over the place trials and mountain unicycling and uh did some like research and development with Cirque du Soleil um with unicycling and uh so that was pretty cool and then after that I kind of got into mountain bike racing which uh is like I guess where like endurance training started for me so just doing lots of um volume on the mountain bike and big days and hard training sessions and raced um did a few world cup level races Mm-hmm. uh mountain biking and um and then after that i just kind of found running so i never really ran much um uh what childhood i guess just whatever i did before mm-hmm. what did you start mountain biking or running, oh, running in general what, what sort of time frame is that that would have been like when i was 24 i guess 24. so quite late quite late yeah yeah and i think running was just a natural fit for me but I don't have any kind of background uh, in it. So mm. people like um, Woodsy or something who are just like, or Mark Batras, who just have like this crazy speed developed two years of, you know, 
racing on the track and doing fast half marathons and 10Ks and 5Ks. Um, I think I definitely missed miss that in uh, mm. uh, in some of the races. But um, I wouldn't say you did. I think having like a good <laughs> <laughs> having like a, a good engine and like knowing how to train definitely uh, definitely helps. Yeah. Do you still do you still unicycle? A little bit. Yeah, when the urge hits, still yeah. have some unicycles and ride them around sometimes. Take the dog for a walk or something. Yeah. Take the dog for a walk. It's funny. So, so one of my clients came to me, right? And he had a unicycle and he brought it to where I train. I was like, why have you bought a unicycle? He's like, well, Ryan Atkins does it. If I can learn to do this, yeah. he does Ryan Atkins. I'm like, I'm not sure it works like that. Uh, <laughs> totally. Like, you know, every year. I like it. So we've now got a in my in my shed that's named the Ryan Atkins. Would you believe? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great training tool. It really develops good core strength and like good um, I guess body awareness. And you end up falling a lot, so uh, yeah. it probably makes you better at falling off of things. I think that's a bit of an underrated skill in racing. A lot of people like fall off an obstacle or just fall around running, and then they hurt themselves. Mm. And and they, you know, whatever. But if you know how to fall, like you can really mitigate a lot of those um, injuries and mid-race kind of screw-ups, I guess. Would you say you're pretty fearless, Ryan? Like, would you, like, you know, I used to skateboard, BMX, all those sort of things. And when I was younger, I was like, I don't care if I break my arm or smash my head open. And then you get a little bit older and that fear starts to kick in. Then you get married and it's a bit like, okay, then, you know, you have a job and a house. You're like, oh, maybe I should just be sensible and become a runner now. But do you think you, you've still got that? Do you think when you're going, like, flying down in Tahoe, for instance, in the World Champs at, like, four-minute mile pace, do you think it ever comes into your head? Or do you think you're just in, like, I don't care, I'm just having too much fun? Or, like, at what point do you go, ah, I better slow down in case I break both of my ankles right now? Right. Um, I think I've always been pretty, like, rational when it comes to fear. Uh, Definitely, I don't think it's actually changed that much from when I was, you know, a teenager and stuff. But um, I think when you're like have the skill and confidence to like lay it out there, then you can, and you are taking reasonable risks. And um, yeah, obviously, like running down technical trails at like, like you said, like four minute mile pace is like pretty, pretty dangerous. You've got a pretty high chance of like spraining an ankle or something. But um. But also, if you do that in training and you're like, comfortable on it, then you can push it a bit more and have that confidence to be, you know, yeah, crazy. Be, yeah, <laughs> to be a little crazy. Probably what you need to win a world champ. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's all very well training, but like you say, sometimes you just need that extra mile, extra second, extra minute, and that is it. Sometimes, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. And you believe in you can do it as well. I suppose that's that. For me, that's what comes across with you, um, is your mental belief that you actually can do it. Nothing seems to scare you when you go for these right. crazy challenges. And you, I think you win, but I think you made a comment on a podcast a little while ago. And it, it's sort of the same sort of thing as John always says. I mean, like, if he's not enjoying it, he won't win it. He's got to right. enjoy doing it. It's not always about the money. It's not always about the goal. But if you're in the moment enjoying it, nine times out of ten, you do win. And you do come away with the money because you do well at what you're enjoying, you know. I think yeah. you, you're very much like that. Uh, there's not many athletes like that, I don't think, at the world level, but normally the world's best right. really enjoy what they're doing, and you seem to only do what you really enjoy. Yeah, I think I think that there's a bit of a skill in 
finding kind of your reason um, to do things too. Uh, so if you have, you know, something like a race or something that's really challenging and you have a really good kind of like deep reason for wanting to do it, then it's just going to be so much easier than um, if you have a reason that like you want to win or like you want to, you know, make prize money or you want to do something like that, then it's just a bit less true to kind of mm. to yourself. And then that, that just puts you in a negative, negative place, negative mindset, and it makes it, ends up making it way harder. So, mm. yeah. so Ryan, where did it start in OCR for you? Was it, what was your first OCR race? Yeah, my first OCR race was a race uh, actually nearby where we live now in Kitchener, mm-hmm. and it was called the Badass Dash. Badass oh, Dash. Yeah. Yeah, Classic cool. local race name. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but they the prize was you won an ATV, like a oh. brand new, like super swanky <laughs> ATV if you if you won. And so my buddy was like, hey, you should come do this. And I think you'd be good at it. And so I trained for like, I don't know, a month or two. I was just like, was like at work, I would, at lunch, I would just go and uh, run laps around a park and like jump over a picnic table and stuff. <laughs> like run as hard as I can, jump over picnic tables. And then I showed up and I won, and I won the ATV. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And, um, and then it was kind of slow from that point on. I think I did, after that, I did World Stuff Mutter. I won that. And then I think I did World Champs and then. And that was a year I came second there. And, uh, yeah, and then it kind of, like, built from there, I guess. Do you realise the normal average person, like, yeah, I came 150th, I came 70th, yeah. You went slow, I came first, second, first. Yeah, I was okay, you know. <laughs> and at that point, was there any big names that we would know now that were racing those races with you? Was there anybody that you sort of didn't grow up with, but, like, raced with that and you're now OGs of obstacle course racing I mean John John Alvin was there at the first Spartan world championship I did yeah you might know him um we know the the legend of John um as far as I mean the local race there's really no one that uh was there that you would know but um in World Cup is mother the first year I did it I don't know there was uh Junyoung Pak, I guess, was the kind of the guy to beat. He was, yeah. um, he had won it the first two years and he was like the big name and, uh, and so he was like the guy to take down. So, yeah, that was pretty exciting. Um, and going out there. How many, how many miles did you do? A hundred miles. A hundred miles in your first attempt. And he's a unicycle. Yeah. <laughs> On one unicycle. <laughs> and one man. Exactly. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, that was actually that was actually a really cool race. Um, I think I was saying this to uh, to a friend the other day. I think it'd be really awesome if um someone it wouldn't have to be Jeff Mutter, but like someone brought back the original uh World Cup of Mutter course um mm-hmm. at New Jersey. But like, so the first time it was done was in 2011, mm-hmm. and it was a 10 mile lap, and it was I think it was December 17th or something. So there was like. <laughs> All the water was iced over, like it was brutally cold, and um, like the obstacles weren't that hard, but they just got covered in water and ice. Yeah. So they like ended up getting pretty hard, and it was just like it's like this mythical like race because apparently like everyone just like did a lap and just like went home, and there was like ten people who kept going. Um, 
<laughs> and to me, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, bring that back. I want to, I wish, like, I wish I was there then. And, like, it'd be so cool if they redid it now. And the thing is, like, with the 10-mile lap format, people are going out for, you know, three, four hours on a lap. So it's not like, mm-hmm. not like a five-mile lap where you go out, you run around, then you come back to the pit and you have, like, you know, your cup of noodles and a little bit of hot chocolate and then you like get yourself all warmed up and you go back out again like a 10 mile lap that's like in those conditions in the mud and then the freezing cold um you go like, to dark places in 10 miles on yeah. to be honest each 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 lap is a bit of an undertaking so it, it kind of makes people think twice about going out <laughs> again i guess yeah. and i really i like i love that um <laughs> i love that i think it's like it's pretty cool Nick, this sounds quite silly but 10 laps of 10 miles doesn't sound that bad. You know, when you say you've got to do 50 laps of like a two mile course, that sounds right. Right, right. it sounds crazy. But yeah, it doesn't sound so much. Right. Sure that's a long freaking way, but yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, were you still working at that point? So, what were you doing as a job as well? So, I was working as an engineer, a design engineer um, at the time, and then I was also doing some traveling work. So, at some point, I kind of quit my engineering job and would build, I got, I started a company building mountain bike trails and building hiking paths and things like that. Nice. And, um, and then they would, winter time would come and like my engineering job would want me back. So I would like go back and like work inside for a few months and then kind of spring would hit and I would kind of get all like anxious and start going outside more. And, um, and then uh, like one of those transitions, uh, it was just like, um, I was just racing more and more and like doing, uh, more races in the US and things like that and like making more money, um, racing. So I was just like, it's just going to be easier if instead of racing every other week and then trying to like bounce a job and take Thursdays and Fridays off. And like if I just kind of only race. So that's what I did. Nice. Why not? Why not? And yeah. not that you want to give away training now too much, Ryan, but how has your training changed now to then? Do you follow the same principle or obviously you're a lot more, you've learned a lot since then, but like, is your training roughly the same? Like your same grip work, your same running technique, is it all the same or? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of my training isn't as like, I've always kind of believed in like a periodized training plan, um, which I think is like kind of the best way to go but also um because so many of the races i do are kind of all over the place and they all have different uh different value to me in terms of like how i want to do with them and how well i can do with them given like the time i have between races and between other commitments um so there's like kind of this weird sliding scale of like preparation in a way if that makes sense (laughs) so a lot of the times I'm kind of maintaining like baseline fitness and then um, kind of adding on uh, like an ingredient specific to a race that I'm doing. So if it's a shorter, flatter race, I might be doing more flat feet work to prepare. Um, or if it's uh, a race that involves a lot of obstacles like uh, at OCRWC in London, I was doing more kind of pull-up work and more um, grip work and more... Mm-hmm. Um, so you very specific to the race like that. that effectively. Yeah, totally. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I train now. Um, I mean, I'm just taking personalization. It must be crazy because, like, if you just take your last few races, you know, you've done an ultra, 
a sprint, an eco race, a super, a feast. Yeah. That, oh. All your walking and your hiking and your mountain biking and your ice climbing in between. I mean, like, I appreciate totally. your work, but how you fit that in in the coaching system, I, I don't know. Like, that is nuts. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know your own body, so you know how it works. But, I mean, does... I think... Go on. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that's the biggest kind of lesson I've learned over the years is just... Um, and it's been the hardest lesson is like how to listen to your body and how mm -hmm. to adapt your training on the fly as to you know maybe you go out and the first 20 minutes you feel like shit but you have a really hard interval session planned so get through the first one or two and you still feel terrible so like just having that confidence to shut it down and go home or maybe you have a an easy day planned and you just feel amazing and um so then you do your intervals that day so it's uh yeah. It's kind of like a bit of a, like you can't, if you're looking at your training, even a, even a week out, you don't really know how you're going to go next Tuesday. Um, you have an idea, but you don't, until that day strikes, because of, you know, um, friends and family and work and obligations and the weather and whatever may have you, different, your like various circadian rhythms in your body, you really don't know just how good you're going to feel that day or how bad you're going to feel. So, yeah, I think that being able to just go home and rest and mm -hmm. save it for another day and recover is, uh, yeah, the most worthwhile lesson I've learned in terms of like performance and in longevity because then you don't yeah. get burned out, you don't get injured, you don't do all these things. Oh, that's good. And uh, going alongside that, uh, like the recovery side of things, um, is nutrition a big side for you? Do you like put a lot of time and effort into having a good nutritional plan? That's all they eat. Or is it maple yeah. syrup? <laughs> it's a lot of maple syrup. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that nutrition is like, it's like your fuel, so it's really important. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, everyone's a bit different too, so what might work for me might not work for you, yeah. might not work for Jack. Um, so, yeah. No, don't don't let always, Jack hear maple syrup. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? turn into fat Jack. Fat <laughs> Jack's already on his way, trust me. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that like I like to eat like mostly um, mostly vegetarian and mostly uh, yeah, lots of fruit and vegetables and um, you know good grains and whole grains. Is that a common like vegetarian? I didn't know that. Not that I should know, you, but I'm surprised by that. You're more vegetarian based on yeah. than uh, you just meat. Just realize eater. every listener we've got is now going to go and ditch all meat because Ryan Atkins is a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like I'm not like a strict vegetarian or anything, but I definitely I eat. I don't eat a lot of meat. I do eat some eggs and fish and um, yeah, not not much in terms of meat and things like that. So, yeah. One thing I do need to comment on that that is okay. I'm gonna say, it. Lindsay, how do you how are you married to someone that's as good as you? How does that go down in the household? Like. Is there a bit of a, a, a rivalry, or is it? You know, do, do you compare checks or trophies? <laughs> Where do you fit all your checks? Do you, like all questions. <laughs> yeah, we have a room dedicated only to check storage, so uh, <laughs> that was a big choice we had to <laughs> had to make together. Um, no, I think that Lindsay and I don't compete together at all. We just kind of work. Like, that's our each other's bigger biggest. Um, cheerleaders, and uh, I used to kind of coach them 
Lindsay more than I do now. Um, help her with her tricking plans and things like that. But over the years, she's kind of gotten quite good at programming herself. And um, yeah, having you know another elite top of their game kind of athlete in the household is awesome because mm-hmm. um, it's just like having a sounding board, having a, another pair of eyes and another brain to kind of go over your training when things aren't going well or when you try to make decisions based on what to do or what races to do or how to do it. Um, yeah, so having her is invaluable. I bet you still want to feature that, don't you? Like, yeah, the results. I bet I bet you have a little tally, don't you? Like, a little tally. I'm like, wait a minute. Did you, wait, did you come second? <laughs> <laughs> what a shame. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, she's, uh, she crushes it. So it's pretty hard to see with her. Yeah, definitely. And you're not she coached at all, like you're self-coached, right? Yeah. 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 What do you guys find in terms of the athletes that you interview? Are most most people kind of self coached, or um, um, a lot of people yes. have coaches, or what? They're both. We ask that <laughs> question quite a lot, and um, a lot of the top guys, like your John Albums, people like that, are self coached. But what you'll also find yeah. is they're very. Uh, they'll take time, a bit like yourself, a bit like John, study, research. They're not stupid either, you know, like. Not saying that everyone's got a coach is stupid, but they take the time to learn. <laughs> I mean, I've been a shitload of people, but you do know what I mean? Like, um, take the time to know no, no, what's good for you, you know? And a bit like you said, with Lindsay, yeah. she doesn't need you now as much because she's learnt what she needs. And I think, I think once you've had that for a year or two years and you've had your ups and downs and you've lost and you've failed and you've won and, you know, you've had, I think you learn an awful lot about that and then, like yourself, yeah. like you know now that that particular session didn't do very well last time, or that bit of food wasn't very good for you, or you know, getting involved with that sponsor wasn't a good idea. So I think that type of thing you learn. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of the top, yeah, athletes, totally, yeah, they're they're more and more. You'd think they'd be coaching, coaching, coached, but no. Um, in fact, I, I say the story. We had um, Nicole and Ryan stay at my house for a week after after right. work, and I was actually said. Surprised how little Aaron structures anything. Like I was like, how do you even come forth at the world? Like how do you do it? You know, we sit right. there with Harry Bow, drinking wine. You know, like just like Harry Bow and wine. Yeah, you're just not a normal person. And I think a part of you thinks like I have this whole. I always every Christmas have this talent. Uh, I don't know about you, what you think. Do you think you're born with talent, Ryan? Would you say you were born with talent? No, you do think there is talent. Absolutely, I think it's like um, it's part of the recipe. But I think that like some people, some people could do like the back right kind of training for you know ten years and never, yeah, never get to you know world class. And other people could just um, just start and be like really awesome. And so there's like. Yeah, talent is an element. And also, yeah. you know, there's other things. Like, there's like a subcategory to talent. There's like trainability is like, to me, like part of talent. It's like, if you train, how, how does your body react? And how, how do you absorb those, um, training sessions? Or how do you not absorb? And that's like almost as important as innate talent or innate, you know, endurance or things like that. Um, so and I then, think- yeah. 
I think that's the greater question. I think if someone uses a coach to get that out of them, then perfect. But in general, I think the guys that are, are doing very well in OCR, let's say, you know, your Robert Kidding, yourself, your Johns, even the girls, Nicole, Lindsay, I think they're, they're predecessed to have that talent. So they're, they're doing, like, for instance, for you, I would have to do a hell of a lot more I pull up for my grip strength than you would to have that same ability. So right. I just naturally haven't got that there. I have to work really, same as a school though, like, I could sit in hours of maths lessons. I'm still not going to work my buddy nine times table. It takes it takes hours and hours and hours where my brother got it in seconds. So I think all the top athletes have pretty much got right. it. Um, That's because he was the favourite bit. Very true. Very true. I was the youngest. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I generally think that... Sorry. I thought you were saying something. <laughs> no. Talking about coaches... Oh, yeah. no, yeah. um, Talk about coaches, we did have a question come in from Ian Hosek. Oh, yeah. Ian Hosek sent a question in to our Instagram account. It's a very serious one for you, Ryan. How often do you brush your teeth? How often? Twice a day. Oh, there we go, Ian. Yeah. We've got we've got the scoop on and, Ryan's teeth brushing. And Ian, Ian, I'm trying to get better with flossing, so I try to floss, you know, at least every other day. So. Oh, it's one of those you need to do, you just don't get around to doing it. It's like rolling. Right. For you British people, if you need to if you need to explain to you what flossing is, um, that's another podcast. <laughs> oh, that type of flossing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll slowly skip over that type of flossing. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, when I put that out, I had to stop Aaron Newell from commenting because I was worried that we were going to get like question after question after question. And by the way, well done for beating him in your first ultra. He was like, Ryan Atkins oh, yeah. has never beaten me in an ultra. He's never beaten me. <laughs> I was like, he's beaten me now. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron's funny. <laughs> but I think that was... Um, um, we only had a few more questions. Yeah. Graham Wells asked, Daddy or Chips? That's I'm not a very sure if that's... easy thing to ask. He won't understand that, I don't think. I'm not sure if that's a question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you heard McCain Chips. I don't know if that's... An, is that an English thing, McCain Chips? Yes. Okay, so in England, so. we have a make of chips called McCain Chips. And in the adverts, it was Daddy or Chips. You had to select, would you have the last chip or would you go to your daddy? Like, give it to your daddy? No, well, no, you, you get the chip or you go to your daddy. <laughs> daddy or chips? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Graham, that's a poor question. Uh. <laughs> poor question. <laughs> and uh, Ian Harrison asked, what got you hooked on OCR in the early days? And we know now it's the ATV. You wanted to win that car. Yeah, you wanted to win a TV. And now it's clear the money. <laughs> clear and Atkins just froze. So Atkins coffee shop Wi-Fi has frozen. So what, what, Mike, what's the question? It was what got you hooked oh, in the yeah. early days on OCR? Did you guys say what got me hooked in the Yep, in the early days. Yeah. And we know it's the TV. I'd say that um, it was kind of, I think for me, it, uh, yeah. you guys hear me now? Okay. Yeah, 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 we got you, we got you. Come back. Um, okay, so I think it was... Uh, I think for me, OCR kind of, it required like this fitness that was like all, all, your whole body. Like it wasn't just your running or, um, how well you could do obstacles. It was kind of like a whole combination of 
what you could do with your body. And I think that mm-hmm. was really cool. And then it was also just such a fun community and like group of people um, doing it. So I think it was like those two factors that kind of got me hooked. And uh, I mean, being good at it kind of helps too. Have you done much CrossFit, Ryan? No. No, I didn't. I, didn't I haven't done much CrossFit. No. Just, does does it ever appeal to you to do any uh, functional fitness? Like hunter style. Um, not really. No. <laughs> is, is, is that after training with Hunter in Malibu? You don't want to do it now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, it's pretty fun training with Hunter. Um, I think CrossFit, like, like training in that environment is pretty cool because it's like it's so community based and it's like mm-hmm. so competitive and like you're going against your buddies and so that which is uh it's it's awesome and it's motivating. But also um I mean I I put on muscle really easily and I know that if I if I did CrossFit or like, you know, a lot of those kinds of um exercises, I I'd gain like twenty pounds of muscle in like a month. So um, uh, are you saying uh, you'd be bigger than really, not really good for obstacle racing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just like an upside down Dorito and boom and you'd have better hair Yo. <laughs> the mullet so if it wasn't OCR Ryan let's bring Wait. it back to serious if it wasn't OCR well, it was what other sport would you be doing like if you could do any other sport now what would you do I think I'd just be doing like alpinism and mountaineering now and mountain biking I still love mountain biking yeah three of those there we go. There it is. Right, we're going to finish off with a quick fire round. So I hope you've got the questions ready, Luke. Ready? Okay. So if you could do any job, what would it be? A paid job. If you had to go back to a paid job, what would it be? Uh, I think I'd be working in like the outdoor industry as an engineer. It'd be pretty fun. Outdoor engineer industry. The best shoe for OCR. Extreme. VJ Extreme. Best yeah. shoe. Of course he's going to say that. Come on, let's be honest. Hey, they're the best. That's what I got. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite obstacle course race ever done? And it could be for any reason. Oh, um, it might have been the, uh, the 2014 uh, Tahoe, or not Tahoe, World Championships in Killington, Vermont. Killington, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there you go. Yeah. For, any, for any reason? Oh, I mean, it was just so gnarly like so much steep climbing and the obstacles were harder and the carries were like like there was like a 20 minute sandbag carry on that course what's your favorite obstacle uh doesn't have to be spot say the the rig any kind of rig any kind of rig there you go. if you could have any sponsor who would it be Maybe uh, it'd be nice to be sponsored by like a, a car company. Maybe like Porsche. Porsche. Yeah, <laughs> like Porsches. There you go. <laughs> Just turn up at the event like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the funny story actually. I think um, John, uh, when I asked John that question, he tried to get sponsored by VW because he wanted a camper van. And they were like, that doesn't work like that. You can't just get sponsored by us and we'll give you a free camper. But I was like, worth a try. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to be inventive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you could tell our listeners to read one book, what book would it be? It could be any type of book. 
what one book would you suggest? Oh, uh, do you read? I should have asked that book. question. <laughs> do I read? I do read, but I, I actually fall asleep really easily. So whenever I try to read a book, <laughs> I only make it like a few pages. <laughs> <laughs> that is the question. What yeah. book has um, the first few pages? <laughs> um, basically, any. Uh, there's a really good Reinhold Mesner book. Um, what's it called? Like, yeah, basically anything that he's written is really good. Who's that name, Brian? Like Reinhold Mesner. He's like a, a mountaineer. Like this gnarly, gnarly uh, guy from um, Germany. Mm-hmm. There you Germany. go. And the yeah, he's awesome. Last final question then. 2020, what will Ryan Atkins be doing in 2020? What's that giving away too much? What's your aims next year? Um, my aims for next year. I mean, more racing. Uh, lots of lots of good stuff. Doing another big big fat bike adventure this winter. That's gonna be cool. And then um, yeah, and then just getting into racing, Spartan and ultras, and maybe a little bit more sky racing. Ooh, there we go. Excellent. Nice. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. Thank you very much, Ryan. Um, <laughs> Where can people uh, follow you? Is it on Instagram? Is that the best place to find you to yeah, follow these adventures? Yeah, probably the, the best place to find me. Excellent. Or on a random trail in the woods somewhere. Yeah. Find me um, there too. Well, enjoy the winter <laughs> training and uh, thank you for so, coming yeah, on, Ryan. Cheers. Cheers, Ryan. Thank you. My name's VJ Jones, and you've been listening to OCR Audio. This is Ryan Kent, and you've been listening to OCR Audio.